0: Hi everyone, I am Emily Landers and this is How'd She Do That, a podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome everyone, welcome to today's episode. I am so happy that you're here. This is a conversation that I have been so eager to share because my guest today is incredible. Julia Amory is joining me on the podcast today, and as I mentioned, this is an episode I have been so excited to get to your ears, so I'm so happy that you're listening today and that today is the day. Well, I hope you all had a great weekend. Luke and I were lucky to have my parents in town. We were running around Malibu quite a bit, seeing all of our favorite spots, uh, and they enjoyed their stay at Westlake Village Inn. So if you're ever in the area it's a beautiful spot to stay. We also toured Surfrider in Malibu, uh, which I've been to before. It's on PCH and surprisingly more quiet than I expected it to be. So all in all, a really great weekend. And it reminded me, if you are following me on Instagram at Emily Landers, and you see all of these fun places in Malibu that Luke and I frequent, I actually have a Malibu guide up on How Did she Do HowDidSheDoThatPodcast.com, lots of restaurants lots of shops, lots of hotel recommendations. So I hope that if you're ever in the area, it's helpful to you. Well, I already mentioned that today's guest is amazing, but I really want to brag on her because not only was she extremely well-spoken, as you'll hear, with so much great wisdom and insight to share, she has also been so sweet in the process of recording and now releasing this episode. This is Julia's first podcast episode, and she was fantastic. She was a natural, and she has been so lovely to connect with. You guys are going to love hearing more about her years in fine as well as the beginning stages of India Amory. I know you're going to be encouraged. This is an awesome episode for any woman. Here is Julia Amory on How'd She Do That? Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Today's guest, Julia Amory, is the founder of the undeniably chic India Amory, which creates linens, accessories, and clothing using block printing, one of the slowest and oldest methods of printing in India. After working in the financial services industry for many years, Julia developed the concept for India Amory while searching for printed fabric to use for the tables at her own Southampton wedding. Unable to find the perfect print at an affordable cost, the search began. The resulting company is a lifestyle and home goods brand working in India block printed cotton of varying weights, where custom projects are endless and inquiries are always welcome. India Amory offers fabulous and affordable solutions to large-scale needs for parties and weddings. When Julia isn't working with her team, overseeing new prints, or launching a new product, she is likely enjoying time at home with her darling family, which includes her husband, daughter, honor, and baby number two on the way. Julia, welcome to How'd She Do That?
1: Emily, thank you so much for having me. That was a very comprehensive introduction. Um, (laughs) You didn't miss anything.
0: (laughs) Well, I am so happy to have one found your beautiful products. And now to have the opportunity to chat with you and hear more about your story. I'm thrilled. I'm excited.
1: Me too. Thank you. Thank you. uh, This is going
0: to be great. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today. I know my listeners have been eager to hear from you and are excited to hear more. Many of them are young mothers like yourself. Some of them are entrepreneurs. We even have recent grads. So I love to start with my guest at the very beginning, hearing a little bit about where you went to school and perhaps what you majored in.
1: Um. Well, I guess when people generally ask where you went to school, they're asking about college. But the funny thing for me is that I actually went to an all-girls school in New York City for 13 years. Oh, my gosh. We had a graduating class of 53 people, 26 of whom were together all 13 years. So that, to me, was really the most... Formative and shaping educational experience. So I went to Spence in New York for all 13 years, and my best friends from there are still my best friends today. It was an absolutely incredible experience. And I feel very strongly about all girls' education. Um, I think it's something that I can attribute a lot of my success in life to. Um, So after Spence, I went to Trinity College in Hartford, where I majored in history. I've always been very artistic and I I painted throughout um, my childhood and into high school and I submitted an art portfolio in college and took classes at FIT and at um, Parsons School of Design. And so when I got to Trinity, um, art history actually wasn't a major. So I probably took as many art history and architecture courses as I did history. um, (laughs) I was a history major and... Yeah, I I absolutely love Trinity. It was a a great place. And it's um, curiously enough for such a small school, it's generated a tremendous number of CEOs of um, public companies and has an incredible network. And I ended up after graduating um, a couple of years later, working for Alliance Bernstein, which is a large wealth management and investment bank, um, the CEO of whom had coincidentally gone to
0: Trinity. So... Yeah, you never know where life will take you. What did that path look like to stepping out and finding that first job?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I graduated in 2008, which for some millennials and youngsters <laughs> out there was not a great year to graduate.
0: No. Uh,
1: it was... You know, I was sort of searching for a job as I was reading about Lehman collapsing and seeing some of my peers walking out of their first job with cardboard boxes after a few weeks thinking it was the end wow. of the world. Um, I I will say that as much as I adore history and I still am incredibly drawn to, it will always be sort of my passion. I especially am interested in 18th century European history. That is not the most practical. Uh, well, it's very practical in that it, it, it shapes your understanding of the world, but it doesn't Absolutely. necessarily directly translate into um, a job that's going to put food on your table. <laughs> uh, so I, strangely enough, sort of parlayed history into being, um, as I said, sort of a one-size-fits-all, catch-all intellectual uh, focus in college. And I ended up working at a hedge fund in Boston um, for about two years after college before I decided that I was going to move back to New York. I had wanted to try something new. Boston was a great place to Of get your feet wet after college. It has a very, um, it feels like a town versus a Mm. city. And it was a nice break for me after being in New York, and all of my friends were going back to New York. So I was there, and then I went back to New York uh, and worked at Alliance Bernstein for the next seven years.
0: Wow. For the next seven years, you were doing finance. And for those of you who are not familiar with the New York finance scene, that's one quite impressive and quite draining, is it not?
1: (laughs) It was. I I had a a variety of different roles when I started. I was working at um, the sell side subsidiary of Alliance Bernstein. um, so that's called, that was at the time called Sanford Bernstein. It's now called Bernstein Research. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working in an area called Corporate Access, which is sort of a hybrid of sales and research. And we were basically charged with liaising between the companies that we published research on, which were mega cap, Fortune 500 companies with market caps over a billion dollars, mm-hmm. and um, liaising with their investor relations team and C suite executives and the investors who were paying for our research services so those were long only and hedge fund clients and i apologize if if any of this vernacular gets too granular but
0: no um, i love it
1: i worked on that team for about 3 years or 4 mm-hmm. years and then i um was lucky enough to get a role on the equity capital markets team, which was a new venture at Bernstein. Um, Bernstein had historically not engaged in initial public offerings because they felt that it was dilutive to the quality of, or the integrity of their unbiased financial research, which they're known for. And all of our Mm -hmm. analysts were sort of number one ranked on wall street. Um, and so moving over to that team was really exciting because we were able to parlay the expertise of these very revered equity analysts um, in working on deals. And it meant that I, being on this small team, had a really high level um, or degree, rather, of access to the IPO process. So basically, that job entailed going out with my boss to Silicon Valley to meet with tech and biotech. I mean, we worked in all industries, but with a focus on tech and biotech, just to meet with tons and tons of private companies, to meet, meet with private equity firms, and look mm. at in their portfolio and see what companies might be a match with the analysts that we were working with at Bernstein. And then we would pitch our services or to be a part of a consortium on an IPO. And when we would get a mandate, we would then be a part of the entire IPO process. So that would mean that um, they were often coming to the table with an initial offering document, an S1, and we would go to all of the drafting sessions. And you sit there with legal counsel and Uh um, the CFO, CEO, division heads of this company as well as all of the bankers that are working on the deal. And you go through that document and you learn everything there is to know about the company. And you really think about everything that an investor is going to look at when they look at that company as a potential investment target. And it um, really trains you to have a very critical eye when it comes to how a company is structured, um, where they're allocating their resources what the upside potential is, how diluted they are by current investment. Um it was a wonderful education in how to take me on to start my own company at, at a certain point. Um and I really I was I was working on it during an incredible upswing in the IPO market, we were very, very busy. We were bringing in lots and lots of business and it was super exciting. It just, um, my sort of burnout, personal burnout came at (laughs) the same moment where the IPO market is incredibly cyclical and it has ups and downs and we had this exciting wave and then it sort of started to dry up a little bit. And I thought, you know, I don't, Know that this is my long-term passion. I've learned a tremendous amount, but
2: mm.
1: it wasn't where I was going to spend the next twenty years of my life, um, and so I ended up deciding that I was going to leave without a plan. And I was engaged to my husband, and I just thought, you know, that's not to say I was engaged so I could leave my job. I don't mean that at right. all. I, just mean, <laughs> I, I just felt. Like it was this inflection point where I could kind of take a pause, and the outlet of planning our wedding was actually such a wonderful way to get back in touch with my creative side mm. um combined with a love of execution on details <laughs> that is probably somewhat militant in uh, its level of craziness um. um so that was that was what kind of brought me full circle back to thinking, okay, I've got to do something that's a little bit more creative with my life.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's amazing. And you guys, I'm sure your head is spinning like mine with questions of, oh, my goodness, all of the different things you just shared. But it really seems as though you were in a crash course on entrepreneurship for those years. I mean, for you to be able to look at these businesses, I mean, surely that has helped as you've moved forward. In yours, I am curious because I I do. I see your prints, and I see your beautiful work, and all that you're doing now. And thinking of you in this kind of analytical uh, job, where it sounds as though you know you're using quite a bit of perhaps your left brain. And then the history history seems creative to me. Were you doing anything? Were you painting on the side? How were you kind of feeding your creative spirit as well those seven years as as you were maybe doing a little bit more of the left brain in your day to day job?
1: <laughs> um, I, I wasn't, in all honesty, oh, um... and I think that um, that's uh, I think that that's why I was able to so fully commit myself to. The discipline and sort of the hard work I committed to my career on Wall Street. And I think that that's something that's really often overlooked um, when people leave college and they say, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to, you know, start th- this creative venture. I think that there is a lot to be said for paying your dues,
2: mm.
1: doing something that isn't necessarily going to feed your soul, but teaches you an incredible amount of discipline. Um, you know, it's it's like going it's like going to school and learning to read. It's an important Mm -hmm. building block in order to be able to move on to the next chapter. So it's not a sexy answer, but I'm all for paying your dues at a big corporation, doing the work. Maybe you don't love it. It teaches you a lot about yourself, and then you it makes it makes the reward of combining those skills. Mm. uh, with what you're really good at all the more special. Um, I also think it's incredibly important to learn how to operate within the parameters of corporate culture. And I think that that's really underestimated Mm. in its value. Um, I think that learning how the proper decorum in terms of email response time and deference and accountability is really, I mean, it, people were mean. It was yeah. I, a goldfish in a shark tank. Nobody, there were no shoulders to cry on. You know, if you had tears, you went in the bathroom and then you got your proverbial, you know what together. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it made me tough yeah. in a, in a way that I'm very grateful for.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. And for those of you who are listening, perhaps you're you're identifying very much so with Julia in the regard of, you know, I am a creative person and and I, I have these dreams and the, these visions for my life, but I'm in this specific role. Be encouraged in what Julia is saying. She's saying, stick to it. Look at what she's learned. And you can hear even in, in what she's sharing, she learned so much. She's stuck with it. There's discipline that comes from that. I love even the example of email response. I think that's huge. There are tiny details that you're learning currently that Julia would say, you know, she may not have been able to learn had she not been that goldfish in a shark tank. I love it, Julia. Well, I'm so excited. I want to hear about the beginning stages of India, Amory. So you are at this point planning your wedding and tell us you're looking for tablescapes and nothing is quite catching your eye. So...
1: The first thing that I noticed or the first hole in the market that I noticed when I lo- went to look to source things for these these tables at the wedding was that I couldn't find anything ready to go that was a full drop round tablecloth for a 60-inch round table. Now, even five, six years later, I challenge you to do a Google search and all you will find is a highly flammable polyester rental <laughs> you don't want to use. It was (laughs) very strange to me that 99% of venues use a 60-inch round table, and yet it was impossible to find something pretty that was ready to go, easy to order, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Uh, So I then said to myself, okay, well, I've got to have these tablecloths made. And when I started looking into using some of the big names, That you might know in the interior design space,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. it just was gonna be outrageously expensive. Um, So I started to explore less expensive but beautiful fabric options.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, And I was drawn to the idea of Indian block print. Now, the thing about block print that's really interesting and that I didn't, I was not educated on this when I started this whole venture is that block print has been used in so many different countries in so many different ways since the medieval wow. times. So wow. a French block print and and what I really sort of initially aesthetically gravitated towards was more of a pierre de look that stems from provincial France. Now they're not doing block print in France anymore. It's really produced in India. So I went to, I, I did a lot of research online and I found a, large block print, uh, manufacturer in Jaipur. Um, and I started emailing with just the contact address on the website. I mean, this oh was not gosh. a connection. Um, I still work with the guy that responded to me oh to this guy on lots of our projects. We WhatsApp all the time. <laughs> um, and he said, well, if you don't see an option that you like on the website, why don't you just send me a picture of what you're thinking? Uh-huh. And it was as simple as that. So I sort of sketched out, you know, he explained to me how block works and that you have your wood block and that pattern is then obviously repeated. So you, it's not that you're, you're creating some really complex pattern. You're really creating the iconography that then is going to be stamped over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I did the first design, which was a pattern that we call Fleur Provençal, which is still, we bring it back periodically and it sells out overnight and people get really excited about it. And that's really exciting to me. Um, And those first, you know, 25 tablecloths showed up a few months later. And I really, at this point had not thought, well, I'm going to turn this into a business. I was just fixated on executing this wedding. Um, And the tables were the star of the show and and the tablecloths were really incredibly beautiful. And um, we had robes made for the bridesmaids in the same pattern and a couple of other things. Um, And it was actually when I, when the wedding was over and my husband and I were on our honeymoon in France and I thought, oh bleep, what am I going to do? I've left this job and the wedding's over and I have no excuse to not have it figured out. And at that point I was um, interviewing at some big companies and Mm -hmm thinking that I was going to parlay everything that I had done career-wise into something that made a lot more sense. Mm. And I thought, well, let me let me see if I can figure this out. So we came up with the next, or I say we, I mean me. I, <laughs> I sort of doodled out the next six prints. Um, and we had gotten married in October. And by March, I had a very primitive website. And if you are somebody that's been an India Amory shopper for a while, you will know it was nothing special. And I had zero Instagram followers. And I launched India Amory in in March of that year with the first six or seven prints. Um, And the rest is history.
0: Now, what year was that?
1: Oh, God, that's a good question. I believe that was 2017.
0: Oh, my 2017. Might be 20. Julia, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. You guys, we're recording in 2021. And for those of you who know what it looks like now, what Julia's business looks like now, that's quite a feat. If this was, you know, started March 2017, we're chatting in 2021, to think of the past few years and the different pieces. And I want to backtrack because you just said something that I'm loving. You said, you know, you just put out a little doodle and and went on with the next print. Okay, so if I were to doodle... (laughs) A print, it would look... I, I mean, I can't doodle a print. That is so fun that you're able to... Now, that would go back to your painting background, correct?
1: Yes. So I mean, I don't always spend an uh, a huge amount of time painting out prints. And in full disclosure, as we've expanded, we do mm. use some blocks that right. are um, pre-printed that I'm not designing at this point. So it is a split. And you can usually... I mean, I think that people that are really familiar with our product can visually discern what has a more traditional Indian feel and which ones we've totally generated on our own. Mm -hmm. Um, I love them both and they often have slightly different feels. I do think a lot of how they present is how they're styled, Mm. but Sometimes it'll be as simple as one of our most popular prints that's coming back very imminently um, is called the spot pattern, and it's as simple as that. I mean, it's a repeat, it's a variation on sort of an animal print, but it's a little bit more geometric in feel, and it falls so beautifully when you print it on round material. The way that it falls on Mm. a bias is really special and unique because it shows off those sort of columns of how it's printed. Mm. Um, So it's fun to see how the linear actual, the linear process of printing in those columns will translate when you actually put it in on a tablecloth.
0: Wow. And I'm sure the things you were learning as you're putting these pieces together and as you continue to put out amazing pieces and and different designs. So I want to backtrack because March 2017, you like you said, you put out a, a fairly basic website. Is that correct? Not yeah. on social media yet. What did it look like to put that website out? Are our friends letting you know they put in an order? What did it look like to start to get to know your customers?
1: Um. Well, I will say that when I started the business, every order was like a sacred gift from the gods. So of course I knew (laughs) who those orders were coming from. I will never forget um, one of the big things that we pushed when we started. So let me backtrack and just say that now is the moment for entrepreneurs. I mean, you have Mm. every free, free being or, you know, extremely affordable tool out there To start a business and the resources are at your fingertips. I mean, the fact that I could do this from my tiny apartment in the city without spending, my initial investment in the business was maybe $8,000 total total, for manufacturing and website, whatever. Wow. Uh, I used Squarespace, which was stupid of me to do, but I didn't know any better. Um, we have since switched the platform for our website, but I found the person who designed the website, um, which you could very much do yourself. I'm just technologically not gifted, um, on Etsy. And, um, I started the Instagram account before we even had product, um, and I did a, a fair amount of reading on sort of initially how to build a following because I thought, okay, well, if we have a couple thousand followers or a couple hundred followers, probably by the time we have product, that gives me some platform um, oh. to announce that we've got a website. But right. there was no swipe up option. I mean, I, you know, yep. it, it was in its infancy. Um, so I will say the biggest piece of advice I have about. The, the baby stage is don't feel like you need to go out and spend a fortune to start a business in terms of spend, you know, I, I have gotten quotes from people to revamp my website for $20,000. I mean, insane numbers. Right. You don't need to do that. It's silly. Right. Um, and you don't need to throw money at, at every vendor and you can a hundred percent do it on the, on the cheap. I'm all about keeping it very, very, very lean. Yes. Um, and everything that we've added from a distribution facility that we, that we now use, you know, I, I didn't do that in the beginning. I didn't, I shipped everything myself. So I think Oh wow. What's learned is roll up your sleeves, do as much as you can for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And when you physically can't do it yourself anymore, that's when you hire somebody to help you.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. There's oftentimes in conversations like this, I I give my listeners a little moment. I say, you know what? Pause and rewind, you guys. Now is that moment. <laughs> Go back <laughs> and listen to what Julia just shared. I love and thank you for even sharing. You know the investment numbers because I think many of my listeners they want to start something. They think, oh, I would love to, but the the hurdles seem too big. The mountains seem too big to climb. But listen to what Julia's sharing. You know those little steps. And so you actually had. You're saying the products. What they were shipped to you. Were they shipped to you and then you packaged yes, them yeah, and sent them a out?
1: Carrier to my apartment in New York
0: City. <sighs> And
1: I ordered poly bags on Amazon and I packaged everything. And I went to the post office and I would drop off those shipments. And, you know, I think that, and we'll get into this a little bit later because we were chatting about it before we started recording. But I think Mm -hmm. that social media can be so daunting, in that I know there are people out there who follow me who think that I've got it made in the shade. And, Mm. I've read things about myself that imply that I have been handed something mm-hmm. and I, I have been very privileged in my life and I'm very cognizant of that, but don't mm-hmm. for a second think that daddy wrote me the check to right. start this business. And, you know, we're, I took $8,000 and we're doing a couple million dollars in sales every year. And it's, um, it's, it's, crazy what you can do if you really stick with it
0: well it's amazing and so much to credit is to you i mean all of it like you said you're you're sitting you know you're in france on your honeymoon you're thinking what am i going to do with my life and and that's many women in that situation in that time frame in life it's it is a wonder of okay i i do you know we hope to expand our family at some point but but what can this look like for me and for you to have the due diligence to recognize like you said earlier a whole in the, the space that you're passionate about hosting, your fabulous host. And, and there's so many different areas that you can dive into. So if you're to open up the door originally with these tablescapes, and you guys, since then, we're going to give you a chance to connect with Julia. And you probably have already looked at her amazing pieces and whatnot. But since then, you have actually gone into other entities. So Tell us a little bit more about the growth. Tell us a little bit more about how perhaps you did dive into not just tablecloths, not just these things, but actually accessories where we have pajama sets now. What did it look like to expand in that way?
1: So I I think that one thing I'll say about expansion is expansion is fabulous, but I think it's also really important to become an emporium for a specific necessitated need. Mm. And when I when I started doing the tablecloths, honestly, one of the biggest things that appealed to me about tablecloths was, and dinner napkins was, and pareos even. It's not a mistake Mm. we were doing making pareos. I mean, yes, I wear them all the time. I love them. They're easy, but these are really high margin items simply because they don't require a tremendous amount of labor to sew them. Mm. Um, So really building a footprint in a product category that we could become known for, and that we could get financially stable as a company producing, Mm. allowed me to then move into additional product categories. Mm. Um, So we've always kept it initially, not always, we we initially kept it very simple in that we offered one size of round tablecloths, one size of rectangular tablecloths and dinner napkins. Mm. And you know, I think maybe we added the Pareos and placemats, but we really stuck to a core group of, of limited products for probably two and a half years or so. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until the company was completely able to sustain itself and produce enough money that we could then go and buy other inventory Right. produce other inventory that I went into that. So I think that there's a tremendous amount of pressure to initially come out with 55 different product categories. Mm-hmm. The advice that I would give everybody is, well, not give every everybody, give people <laughs> are starting or thinking about starting a business and it, it maybe feels overwhelming or daunting. You can't be everybody to every, you can't be everything to everybody. You've got to just be really good at doing a niche thing and then build on it. Um, even when we added dresses, you know, we've got one silhouette and that shirt dress is, is it for absolutely everybody? Is it one size fits all? No, but Mm. it is very universally appealing in that it it works as well for your mom who wants to cover her arms as it does for a new mom who likes that they can unbutton it and breastfeed. Um, it works at the beach, it works for cocktails. So I, I do look to limit my SKUs as much as possible um, or product categories so that I can do more prints.
0: Mm, well, it's so fun and you've done so well. I don't think that you've stepped out of your lane and in, in any way, shape or form. And I love that encouragement to stay niche, stay niche, be the one that people go to for X, Y, Z, and then you can expand. And as Julia has done all of her pieces, they make perfect sense with the patterns and, and her eye for design and style. Now, this is a fun question. And I think I know, I I think I know the answer. You may surprise me, but I'd love to know, and I'm sure my listeners are curious, where do you credit your eye for design, style, and beauty?
1: Um, you know, I, I grew up in a very creative family. Both mm-hmm. of my parents um, are in publishing, and my grandfather and my grandmother, step grandmother, who was married to my grandfather before I was born, so really filled that role for me, mm. um, were incredibly, are incredibly aesthetic people. Um, my step is a woman named Alexandra Stoddard who is an interior designer and sort of lifestyle expert before that was what we all see it as now. She's written 30 books on entertaining gracefully and living a beautiful life. And, and that really was sort of this fantasy world that I was lucky enough to be exposed to. And it involved a lot of trips to museums. (laughs) And I mean, uh, really bizarre familiarity with Monet and Cassatt and an artist named Roger Moule, who I adore and who my grandparents um, collected and were very close friends with. Mm. So I've just been exposed my entire life to the importance of the aesthetics that you surround yourself with on a, on a daily basis and living beautifully and living graciously and the joy that that brings and Mm -hmm. the importance of sort of family values in the home as a part of this um, world that you create. And that's, you know, of course the financial component of picking my products is important in building Mm -hmm. a sustainable company, but It's also about the fact that I would nine times out of 10 rather have a beautiful dinner at home than go out to a restaurant just because that that's how I was sort of raised and what was cultivated in me. Mm. Um, So that's that's I think my childhood is the biggest influence on where I am now.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, it's amazing to see and I, I it's fun to hear even the museum you growing up and and I'm sure going to museums with grandparents and whatnot, of course, that probably ties in with your love for history and then moving into design. I mean, it's so fun to hear, Julia, and, and all of the puzzle pieces are coming together in regard to your amazing business. Now, we have chatted a lot about the the growth and of course, you start to see these customers come in and whatnot is there any instance throughout your career that you could say perhaps failure uh, helped shape it or a great lesson that you could share with my listeners?
1: Oh, I, so many, but (laughs) you don't hear about them a lot because Mm. all we talk about is the happy stuff, but, um, you know, the deliverables, when you're taking a client's money, there are serious deliverables and, Mm. um, I've been very lucky that I've never had a full-blown crisis. That isn't to say we haven't um, come close. But when we do wedding orders, it's you know somebody is putting their their big huge event in your hands and saying, "Can you get this done for me?" And believe me, there's a lot that can go wrong. They can not like the color that something turned out, or they can be unhappy with the border detail. So I think that communication. Um, and mitigating as much crisis as possible in advance, thinking of every conceivable problematic detail up front, um, has been something that I've become psychotic about. Um, and on my team, you know, you don't learn that without really having an example, um, Or a crisis moment. And I I try to buffer that for them. I don't want them to have crisis moments. So I just talk a lot about um, how we can mitigate some of those problems by being preemptively crazy about details. I mean, I think the other huge challenge that we have faced was during last year, um, in the early days of the pandemic, India was completely shut down. Wow. Um, and now, what that meant for us in terms of getting inventory. Mm. And, you know, it's a testament to our clientele. And I feel incredibly lucky that it was at a point for India Amory when we had a really strong client base in place. Um, mm-hmm. but we had to shift to a pre order model. And, people really rose to the occasion. And and we would say this is an anticipated ship date, but we can't guarantee it. And I mean, I can't even tell you how long it took for the airspace in India to open up. It was it was stressful. Um, but people were incredible and and wildly supportive. And, you know, I'd say by probably June, things were really back on track.
0: Oh my gosh well yes to think of the, not only the headache but but the uncontrollables that you were experiencing in your business at that time and and again I, I have seen uh, your clientele I mean we I say we I put myself in that in that category love your pieces love what you're doing love you even love seeing your life and all that you share And you mentioned this earlier a little bit just just in regard to social media it's such a, an incredible resource and like you said it's a free resource for young entrepreneurs or those looking to start a business. But I'd love to know, because I think you do it very well, um, but I'd love to know, how do you personally kind of navigate both the positive and negative sides of social media?
1: Well, I think that we're at a, a very interesting inflection point for small brands where mm. it's not really, you're not able to just put your product out there and think that people are going to engage with it because it's a very mm-hmm. saturated market. And people really want to know about the person behind the brand and the process and who I am. And that's, um, it's incredibly flattering and fun, and it can also be really frightening. And Mm. it is a double-edged sword because I think, you know, we said a little bit earlier, we discussed a little bit earlier, you can't be everything to everybody. right. and we're in a in a climate where there is the expectation that if you have this platform sometimes that it should be used in a very specific way and yep. and it's almost as if we forget that it's about capitalism at the end of the right. day <laughs> uh, and that isn't to say that one can't use a platform for the greater good but i think that i think I, I stop and try very hard to think about every word that comes out of my mouth, mm. talking about anything that's outside of my lane. Mm. And that's probably a good thing, but absolutely, um, DMs can be a scary place mm. and you just have to navigate very cautiously and recognize the amount of people that you're talking to when you open your mouth on social media. Mm. Um, And I think that that's something very important to understand as you build a brand and choose to be a forward facing founder.
0: Mm. Absolutely, and and of course we want you to continue to be that. Now I'm curious because I have we we have how'd you do that podcast? We're up and running, and we get great kind of uh, commentary and lots and lots of listeners. Now we're building, so we're not necessarily at the place that that we're you know just tons and tons of followers and the in the, the hundreds of thousands and whatnot. Nowhere near your brand, but my point in saying all that is. As even a small platform, uh, or smaller, someone say it's it's large, um, we receive uh, some commentary. So I can't imagine you personally the the comments and feedback that you receive. I'm sure on a a regular basis, do you have someone assisting in your DMs? Because I can only imagine the kind of commentary you receive that that just isn't even worth your time.
1: Um. Well, I actually I would say the majority of the DMs that I get. I will preface it by saying are kind and wonderful. And, you know, it's not, not, this is not a woe is me thing. Right. Um, One of the people that's on my team, I have three people that work for me in the U.S. full time. Um, One of the people on my team who specifically focuses on marketing um, will periodically pop in and help me kind of go through Mm -hmm. them. Yes. And we haven't perfected the system because I'm on there a lot. And I really do love to interface with people and give them feedback on maybe a question they have about which pattern to pick or whatever. Um, Yes. We have not perfected the science of this, Mm but if it's a customer service inquiry, I'll screenshot it and send it to my team or, Mm -hmm. you know... um, Some of you may have worked with Golden, who is the person that I'm talking about, but Golden will, um, highlight specific, take a screenshot and text it to me if it's, if I've gotten really behind, but I, you know, I feel very loyal and grateful to the people that continue to follow the account and the business. And so I feel to some degree, like I owe it to people to, um, interface as much as I can.
0: Well, that's fantastic, and it's so fun to hear because again, you can, you guys, we're going to give you a chance. I know I keep teasing this. We're going to give you a chance to connect with Julia, and you'll want to. And she is fantastic to be quick and to give her thoughts and advice and doing fun Q and A's and whatnot. Well, thank you so much for that insight. It's important, and this is kind of another pause and rewind moment. I'm sure we've had many, but this is a great moment if you're thinking about what does it look like to put my face forward, a, a founder facing founder. I believe you said. I love that to be able to say you know what i do want to share more of my life and and to do so in a way that continues to highlight my product i think that's fantastic well i would love to know because we've talked about so many different things and now we've we've even covered quite a few years but i'd love to know what was a real wow moment for you in your career
1: um i think one of the biggest things that that we've worked on in or that we worked on in the first couple of years was we had the opportunity to um, print tablecloths for the Central Park Conservancy. Um, they host a women's luncheon every year, and this was at the Rainbow Room, and it was for you know 500 people. Um, Aaron Water was speaking with Staline Polonitis, who's the editor in chief of Town and Country. And then we were able to auction off all of those tablecloths to benefit um, Mm. Central Park. And that was just a really cool moment for me and something I treasure even more now that New York is kind of going through the moment that it is. Mm. But as a lifelong New Yorker, to see my little brand in such an iconic space with such iconic entrepreneurs um, speaking was really cool. And then the icing on the cake was that it all went to charity mm. um, and to Central Park, which is, of course, some a place that's incredibly important to me. Um, so that was that was really cool. And then I guess a forward facing one is that um, last summer we got to shoot our house in Southampton for Veranda magazine. Um, mm and do a little bit of a feature on the brand and so forth. So that'll be coming out this summer. And that was, we worked with an incredible photographer. And it was really, that was super exciting.
0: Oh, well, that's amazing. And we'll definitely be staying tuned for that publication. And for those of you who are curious, you can. The the Central Park, those tablecloths were beautiful. The whole setup was stunning. And you guys can see that on Julia's Instagram. Well, Julia, this has been such a blast. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but I don't want to let you go. (laughs) Oh, it's true. I don't want to let you go without asking um, this question because I think it's going to be uh, interesting to hear your, your thoughts. I'd love to know what is the greatest lesson that you could share with my listeners that you've learned?
1: I think the greatest lesson is when you think that you've been grinding away for longer than you should have, there will come that hockey stick inflection point. There's this analogy in finance that you see businesses grow like a hockey stick where you work work and work and work and work and work. And then it Flicks up, and you're at the short end of the hockey stick, and you suddenly see this huge uptick, and it's all mm. worth it. Mm. And I will just say that there will be probably months and months and months and months and years where you think it's not going anywhere. And I promise that if you just keep grinding away and you learn from you work smart, you keep your business lean, don't go to other people for investment capital, um, it will. Payoff. That isn't to say keep trucking away at something that isn't working, but identify on a weekly, monthly, whatever basis what is working and what is not working.
2: Mm. Um,
1: Tweak and edit, and you know, be your own boss to some degree. Hold yourself to really high standards.
0: Well, I think that's my takeaway. I've never heard that analogy. And that's such an encouragement to me, even in regard to the podcast to think, okay, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to see that hockey stick come into play at some point. I love it. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Julia. Oh, absolutely. Well, you always, I know, I know this uh, about you after following you for some time, you always have something coming up. So perhaps what's next for you?
1: Um, well, you know, summer is always, I, I always say we sell summer. India Marine <laughs> is really a summer brand. Um, so we have some personal changes that are going to be happening for my family, which is really exciting. We're going to be moving down to Palm beach, oh, uh, yes. in the, in the fall, which is really exciting. And, um, you know, as always, we love to roll out really exciting collaborations in the spring and summer. And so There are two big ones coming out this year. One is in the women's category, accessories and so forth with a brand that a lot of you know and love. And I would love to tell you who it is, but I don't think she's quite ready. (laughs) Uh, And then another one is going to be that we're revisiting our Smockingbird collaboration, which was our children's line that we did last year, which was a huge success. So we've got some new cuts and we're adding some boys stuff and new prints. And I'm super excited about that.
0: Oh my goodness, well we have so much to stay tuned for and you guys are going to love it. I'm already excited to figure out okay, who might that collaboration be with. We <laughs> will will stay tuned. Well, Julia, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to?
1: You know, this this has been so comprehensive and I apologize if I just talked your face off. I are, I are you kidding? Pass. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun to do this.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely
1: somebody gets something out
0: of it. Oh, I have no doubt. Just, just wait. Our DMs will now be flooded with encouragement. I know because I have been so encouraged. And and many of my listeners, um, for those of you who are listening and have listened to other episodes and for those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome. But one question I love to wrap with with my guest, um, apart from, again, you guys, I keep teasing us, where can listeners connect with Julia? We're about to get to that. But, but Julia, who do you know um, that you think should come on and perhaps share their how How'd she do that story?
1: Um, I have a couple of people in mind because Emily had asked me this preemptively. So in the, <laughs> in the mega category, I will say I have always really admired and looked up to Erin Lauder. And I think that her perspective mm. on running a public company in this current climate or running a sector of a public company um, is really incredibly interesting, especially in this time that's glorifying small startup brands. So I think Mm. Erin is a tremendous example for everybody and would be super fun to hear from. Mm. Um, Kata Gonzalez, who founded a company called Dondolo Baby, is somebody that I really admire and think that she's um, done an incredible job with her brand. So Mm. I would love to hear more about what she's doing and how she ethically sources everything from Colombia and so forth. Um, And then lastly. I have a, a good friend who some of you may um, be familiar with her brand. It's called Tukey Bazaar. And Liz Tukey has been a friend of mine for probably 15 years. We've known each other in New York for a long time. And Tuki was, it was a PR executive and still does a lot of PR. Um, but I think her story is incredibly interesting how she chose to pivot her business Um mm with the pandemic and the change in a lot of brands ability to hire for PR and so forth. So, you know, I think that she's just a really great example of how you figure it out.
0: Oh, Fantastic. Well, three wonderful recommendations and two I'm familiar with. And one, I cannot wait to look up and learn more. So thank you so much for that, Julia. And you guys, Here's what you all have been waiting for. I'm sure many of you have already looked up Julia online and her amazing business. But Julia, where can listeners connect with you?
1: <laughs> yes, you can find our website is www.indiaamory.com. It's I-N-D-I-A-M-O-R-Y.com. Our Instagram is indiaamory. I n d i a a m o r y.
0: Well, again, Julia, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so eager to get this episode out. You were fantastic. And if you're ever on the West Coast, I'll have to say thank you in person. I would
1: love that. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I'm Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week for a new episode. Talk to you soon.